I don't know how things work at your house, but at my house, I am not allowed to wrap the Christmas presents. Amen. I've just always employed the cough drop technique. That's where you, uh, you take the present, you stick it in the middle, you wrap it, and then you twist the ends. Like how a cough drop is packaged. Apparently that does not meet my wife's criterion for wrapping gifts. So subsequently I've been laid off from that position, which is fine. Uh, I mean, it, it kind of makes my life easier, but my theory has always been they're just going to tear into the package anyway. Why do we need to make it look pretty? You know, who are we, who are we trying to impress with these nice packages, especially when it comes to giving the, uh, the gifts to your babies, right? I mean, they're tiny brains that don't even know there's a gift inside the package, and yet we still have to wrap it up all nice and, and make it pretty for them to look at. And furthermore, I've just come to learn that they don't even need a gift, really. But like many of you, uh, just super excited about baby's first Christmas. Laura and I went overboard. We bought the toys and the clothes and the tiny little furniture. We carefully wrapped them up, put them under the tree. But that was a rookie mistake because uh, we soon found out babies just want to slobber on ribbons, eat wrapping paper, take ornaments off the tree, and take naps on Christmas. That's all they need. We could have saved ourselves a lot of time and money. So free parenting advice here. Just get them a box, set them in the box. Okay. That's all you got to do. A little roll around in there. It'll be, it'll be amazing Christmas. Yeah. Uh, but we still want our presents to look good. We want them uh, wrapped up nice and we want everything looking fine, which great. Uh, but as I was contemplating that and, and really researching the idea of giving gifts, I found some interesting information uh, that you might like to be aware of. This year, the average consumer will spend $830 on Christmas gifts. That's roughly the same amount as the American mortgage payment as well. Most of this spending will be put on a credit card, and over 55% of people will not have that credit card, those Christmas presents, paid off within six months. Just to put that in perspective for you, if you make your minimum eight hundred minimum payment on that $830, it will take you 10 years to pay off your Christmas gifts. Merry Christmas, everybody, right? I mean, I hope, hope the Legos were worth it because average interest rate is 15% on a credit card, which is why it makes it take that long. But what was really fascinating to me was that a couple studies showed that around 18% of Christmas gifts that are given will never be used, resulting in a loss that equates to $12 billion dollars. $12 billion out the door because people don't like their gifts. A lot of bad presents. Yeah, there's a lot of sweaters, socks, underwear. I don't know. Uh, kind of funny story about bad gifts. My wife was telling me when she was a kid, her uh, family came up from Tennessee and she found in her stocking a kiwi, but she didn't know what a kiwi was. She'd never seen a kiwi. They told her it was reindeer poop. And so we've never been able to eat kiwi in my house, which is unfortunate, but uh, unused gift. But knowing that there were $12 billion worth of unused gifts out there, and knowing there's only like 21 days of shopping left for you to do, as your pastor, I felt like it would be important for me to help you get some of the appropriate gifts that you, that you can hand out uh, in, in, to, in case you're struggling uh, for some family members. So here's gift number one. Uh, this is, I got you a new washer and dryer. 
Merry, Merry Christmas. Clothespin washer. Okay, what's number two? Uh, there's a battery, but the gift is not included. You could, you could do that. Uh, normally, it's the g- battery's not included, but other way around. Uh, here's a balloon. It says a new hair dryer. You inflate the balloon. You hold the inflated balloon next to your hair. Slowly release air towards hair. Repeat until the hair is dry. Okay, I mean, so that's a great gift you could, you could give someone. And here's some root beer and beans, and it says, have a rootin' tootin' Christmas, okay? <laughs> yes. Yes. Now, for some of you, I know, I know what you're thinking. You're, you're thinking, that's absurd, Pastor. Yes, it is. But uh, you're also thinking, my family, they don't need any gifts. They have more gifts than they could possibly use or require, which is probably true. I know those ungrateful, greedy monsters living with me have stuff they will never use, yet every day they ask for more junk uh, for me to buy them. But if you think that, I came across an interesting article in my study time. A lady named Ellen J. Langer, she's a Harvard psychology professor. She says this in regards to not giving gifts, in case that's uh, what you're going to do, not give gifts. She writes, if I don't let you give me a gift, then I'm not encouraging you to think about me and think about things I like. I'm preventing you from experiencing the joy of engaging in all those activities. You do people a disservice by not giving them a gift. I like Ellen. All right, she gets me. I like gifts. And uh, if I don't want to rob you of the joy of giving me a gift, like a Foot Locker gift card or, you know, <laughs> P.F. Chang's, if you like my wife. So, you know, think about that. Selah on that. Uh, where am I going with all this? It's not, it's not where you think. I think that most people view God in one of two ways. Either A, he's some version of Santa who as long as I'm a good little boy or a good little girl, he's going to give me whatever it is that I ask for. Or B, he's just the opposite of Santa. And instead of jolly and fat, he's angry and muscle-bound, although he still has the long white beard. Instead of a sleigh and reindeer, he has a trident and mermaids, and his entire purpose in life is to just zap you whenever you do something wrong or don't do what he says. Listen, neither one of those things is true. God is not a vindictive emperor, although he is king of the universe, and he is not a magic Santa, although he does like to give us gifts. So do you see how easy it can be for us to uh, pick up on some areas of the truth and think wrongly about God? Like, these crafty little lies are shadows of the truth. Like I said, God does like to give us gifts, and God does have rules that He enforces, but we can't pick and choose which part we feel like is true. We can't take one truth further than another truth. So I want to help us think rightly about God and move forward in this kind of season of gift giving. So I want us to look at a couple things in Scripture. So if you brought a Bible, I hope you did, go ahead and grab it. You're going to want to turn to Matthew chapter 7. Again, Matthew's the first book in your New Testament. If you're new to the Bible, it's towards the back. Look for some guys' names. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John is how it it will go. You want the big number 7? 
Uh, If you're using a device and you can change translations, I'm going to read from the ESV this morning, so you can change that. If you're a guest with us, we're in part two of a Christmas series called Oh What Fun, and as you probably assumed, I want to talk to you this morning about gifts, and uh, more specifically, Oh What Fun it is to give gifts. I hope what you will find today is that God is the author of gift giving, and God wants to give you a number of good gifts, and they're all amazing, and we're going to explore them today. Okay? Let's go. Matthew chapter 7. We're going to pick it up in verse 7. It's a little number 7. reads, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask Him? Okay, a couple things should immediately be jumping out at you. First of all, give is the key word throughout that text. It appears five times in those five verses. Anytime a word is repeated like that, it should be like a neon sign to you, blinking, drawing you in, saying, hey, this is important. Hey, don't miss me. Ultimately, what God is saying here is, hey, I'm a gift giver. I like to give, but... There's some criteria for receiving these gifts. Look at the criteria there. It says you have to ask, verse 7, ask and it will be given. Verse 11, how much more will God give good things to those who ask? So when's the last time you actually asked God for something? James tells us you have not because you ask not. So Sometimes you need to just ask for whatever it is you're looking for. But some of you I know are thinking, uh, Pastor, I ask God for stuff all the time. Well, God said, uh, not only do you have to ask, but you have to ask repeatedly. The word knock there uh, insinuates perseverance. It says that you've got to persevere in your asking. So you all watch the Big Bang Theory? Okay. Penny. 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 Right? perseverance, knocking, perseverance. That's what God is saying here, which as a dad, that kind of feels weird to me uh, to think about uh, asking with perseverance. God says, I want you to ask repeatedly and persistently, but me, if I hear one more thing about a Nerf gun, right, I'm going to go insane on somebody and lose it. Uh, But God's like, no, I want you to ask. Keep asking me. Ask me repeatedly. I'm like, ask me one more time, son, and then see what happens, okay? But that's not that's not God. He's, he wants you to ask repeatedly, but isn't that a cool way to think about God as a father saying, no, bother me. Keep asking me. Keep coming to me. Knock repeatedly, persistently. I want to hear from you. God wants you to bother him. It's remarkable. But in addition to asking and asking repeatedly, it's important for you to realize that God puts another caveat on your requests. He says, seek and you will find. In other words, these good gifts that God wants to give us, they are first and foremost pertaining to His kingdom and His righteousness. How do we know that? Uh, Because chapter 6 tells us that. 
So remember, anytime you read your Bible and you come across something you feel like is speaking to you or, or you feel like is important, you always want to look at the verses prior to and after whatever it is you're reading. We call that putting a passage in its context. So because of chapter 6, we know that when we get here and we see this word give repeated five times, we know that these gifts don't necessarily correspond to everything for which we are asking. If you don't put this verse in context, the word it in verse 7 can be somewhat misleading. That word does not refer to any particular thing that you're asking for, but rather means ask and God will give you what He deems best. That's why the Bible tells us, uh, God, what is done in heaven, may it be done on earth. That's chapter 6. A lot of people read this passage out of context. They think God should give them whatever they want, whatever they ask for. But that's not how it works. God will give you what you need, not necessarily what you want. It's your job to seek those things out so that you can ask for them. Really, when you pray, you're not asking God to bend to your will. You're asking God to bend you to His will and seek God's will and line yourself up with those things. That's what you should be asking for. Now, Here's what else is interesting about God. It says there, who among you would give your son a serpent, or as better translated, an eel, if he asks for a fish? Like who would give him uh, an eel when he asks for a fish? Or, or who would give him a stone if he asks for some bread? As if to imply that none of you would do that. Except the Bible clearly hasn't met my dad. Right? I mean, my dad is a prankster. Anybody else grow up with that guy? Uh, the Bible says, who would do that? I'm like, I could see my dad doing that. Okay, I'm, I could see him doing something and giving me something jacked up. I can remember uh, one time in, uh, my sister was in eighth grade. She was graduating from eighth grade. And uh, my dad had these just horrific overalls, like these... Uh, I don't know, railroad conductor type over. You guys know what I'm talking about? This is weird kind of looking overall. My parents always had a garden and he growing up and he would wear these overalls outside. My sister just hated the overalls. She thought they were the most embarrassing thing you could possibly imagine. She never wanted him to go out in public. And as we're waiting in the living room, my dad comes out and says, hey, it's, it's time to go to, to graduation. Let's go. And guess what he's wearing? The overalls, right? And so my sister loses it. She starts weeping uncontrollably. Now, we didn't know underneath the overalls, my dad was all dressed up. So he let her, you know, go off the deep end before he's like, no, don't worry. You know, he takes off the overalls. I mean, I could have shared uh, a dozen different things about trumpet bugles and snakes and critters and cows and be being left alone in my basement when I'm terrified. Uh, so... Don't get me wrong, I had an amazing childhood. My dad is awesome. He's always been there for me. But nonetheless, he likes to play pranks on you. I can see him giving me some jacked up gifts uh, in this passage. And, and maybe God would do that. I, I believe God has a sense of humor uh, and wants to, to tease people at times. But uh, God is, is, uh, is much more of a good gift-giving God. And uh, I do know that sometimes, though, I've prayed for things, and God, I'm like, this is not the good gift that I was looking for. This is one of my poorly wrapped gifts. God, this is a cough drop gift. I do not want this gift from you right now. But moreover, this passage says God likes giving you good gifts. 
And the parallel Jesus chooses to use is how most parents like to give their children gifts. How much more then does God like to do that? And if you're a parent and you think about the times that you've given kids uh, things that they wanted and, and they were little and they were begging you for something at Christmas and every day they'd ask for it and in your mind you could remember that you had that gift under the present wrapped up for them. How good did that feel uh, waiting to see their excitement? That was one of the best things for me uh, is knowing that, that whatever my son or daughter is asking for is under the tree as we speak. That's something awesome. We're excited to see their excitement. Well, this is how you need to start thinking about God. When you seek His will and you finally persistently ask Him for something, He's excited to give it to you. In the same way you like to give your kids gifts, God likes to give you gifts. Now, this begs the question, well, what exactly are the good gifts that God is giving us? Like in the grand scheme of life, what are some of the gifts that God freely gives? I listed seven of them for you because my favorite number is seven and Larry Bird wore it in the 92 Summer Olympics. (laughs) What's that have to do with anything? I don't know. It just felt good to me as I was preparing the message. Here we go. Number one, life. Life is a good gift from God. Acts 17.25 God doesn't need help from anyone. He does what? Somebody help me out. He gives life, breath, and everything else to all people. You can see God gifts to you life. Like that was His idea. It's unfortunate that many people don't value their life or the lives of others, but that doesn't change the fact that God is who chooses how and when life is lived. This is a choice that God takes very seriously, and in the end, so should you. Relatively speaking, your life on this planet is brief and fleeting, short. We get maybe 70, 80, if we're lucky, 90 years The somber truth of that fact should cause you to live your life all the more earnestly. I think it's at this time of year as people spend time with family and friends that we, uh, around Christmas time, that we should all be intentional about how we're living our lives and how we spend our time here on earth. We don't get to pick our families. Sure, I get that. Uh, We don't always get to pick the things that have happened to us or the things that we have done. We haven't always chosen the right path for our lives either. But the mere fact that you are still alive is a gift. Amen, somebody. Instead of blaming God for the wrong that's happened, we should be thanking God that He decided to give us another chance to be better because of it. Through His Son, Jesus, and the power of the Holy Spirit, you can overcome anything in this life. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Furthermore, as at this time of year, we should be all the more cognizant of the people around us who don't have families, who feel isolated, who have lost loved ones, who feel alone during these holidays. We should do as the Bible says when it says that True religion is loving and caring for the orphans and widows. So at this time of year, we should be all the more cognizant of that and help point these people to the hope that we have in Jesus. We should draw them into this community that we have here as a community of believers. 
while giving gifts this year. Don't forget your main purpose in life. According to Jesus Himself, the great commandment, as it were, which is to love God and love people. You can show people love and you don't have to spend any money to do it. But my point is, life is a gift from God. Live it well. Live it earnestly. Live it intentionally. Do something with the fleeting time that you have here on this planet. Treat it as a gift. What's another gift that God gives us? Number two, the earth. The earth is a gift. Psalm 24.1, the earth belongs to God. Everything in all the world is His. It's His, but in Genesis 1, it reminds us that God's entrusted to us a good stewardship of the planet. Like how differently should we as Christians look at the world around us? Whether or not you agree with global warming or pollution or any of that stuff, you should absolutely be worried about the planet that you're leaving to future generations. doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that most of us are not doing things within our power to leave the world a better place for our children. And while I wholeheartedly believe that God one day will make a new earth uh, for us to live on with us and Him together, I do not think that is an excuse for us to do whatever we want with the planet God has entrusted us. You have to do your part. You have to do research. You have to study ideas and leave the planet better than you found it. Number three, food. Food is a good gift from God. Genesis 9.3, everything that lives and moves will be your food. I gave you green plants as food. I now give you everything else. Amen, somebody. Right? I mean, if you're a vegetarian, God bless you. It's more meat for me. Okay, I thank you. I thank you for your contribution. But we should take seriously the idea of what we're putting in our bodies. I don't think the extraordinary medical issues we have in this country are coincidental to the fact that we've tremendously altered our food consumption, consumption, namely in the uh, grand scheme of things, the idea of convenience. We've done everything for sake of convenience. 30 and 40 years ago, cancer, diabetes, ADHD, all these other thing, crazy things that are happening in the world were not an issue. Most people want you to believe, well, that's because we're just more advanced medically, so we can now, now we can diagnose those things. Patently false. I can show you stacks of research that show what you're putting in your body matters. For every action, there's an equal or opposite reaction. That's not just a physics term. That goes for your body as well. Bottom line, like I've mentioned, we're eating for convenience for sake of doing everything at speed and busyness. And uh, the bottom line is if you can't pronounce an ingredient, you shouldn't eat it. If your grandma didn't grow in her garden or couldn't buy it at her local grocery, you probably shouldn't eat it. Feel free to disagree with me on that, but I believe heaven will not be a place where we eat for convenience or brevity. And Revelation tells us that when God comes back, there's going to be this amazing feast And everything is going to be meant to worship and glorify God. So the food is a good gift. And there's going to be steak cooked medium. Because that's how Jesus would eat it. (laughs) There's going to be good sides and great wine. That's what the Bible 
teaches and uh, nobody's going to be looking at their watch wondering where the waiters are at. First of all, you've got an eternity to be there, right? I mean, where are you going to go? I was just honestly. Uh, but second of all, God created food for our enjoyment and He wants to uh, bless us by it. You see Jesus when He raises from the dead and the disciples see Him, He cooks fish for them. It's probably the greatest salmon they've ever ate in their life because Jesus would have been an amazing cook. But it's not just about nourishment. It's about fun and community. If you watch any cooking show, the underlying theme is not about the food. It's about the community and joy that the food brings together. If you're eating only for convenience, you're too busy. If you're too busy to consistently sit down and have a good meal, then you need to alter some things in your life because this is not how God designed the world to work. Which is a good segue for my next point because what else is a good gift from God? Number four, hard work. Hard work is a good gift from God. Many people don't feel that way, but check this out. Proverbs 24.30 I once walked by a field and the vineyard of a lazy fool. Love that. Thorns and weeds were everywhere and the stone wall had fallen down. When I saw this, it taught me a lesson. Sleep a little, doze a little, fold your hands and twiddle your thumbs. Suddenly, poverty hits you and everything is gone. In other words, work hard. God designed you to work hard. Don't be lazy. Everybody's looking for shortcuts anymore. The other day, I made uh, my kids help me carry some firewood. We had them, I had them put it in the wheelbarrow. I wheeled the wheelbarrow over to the house. They had to take it up the porch. And I, I'm not kidding. We had 30 minutes max that we were working on this little project. And afterwards, Leighton told me that he wanted to make a robot to carry the wood for him. <laughs> so, son, you might be the laziest kid I possibly know in my entire life. But if you make a, rape, a robot, great, because you will make a ton of money because there are people just as lazy as you are, son, uh, that would want this robot. And then I made him go carry some more wood for being so lazy. But uh, a hard work is a good gift from God. It should bring you joy and satisfaction knowing that you did something to the best of your ability. The Bible tells us that we should work hard, not for man, but rather for God. Like anytime you're doing a job, you should view this as something that you're doing for God, as worship to God. It's a way to say thanks to God for even giving you the ability to do the work at all. You know, God didn't take the easy way out when He uh, came to, for, to forgive my sins. He did the hard work of carrying His cross after He'd been beaten and mutilated and the flesh ripped from His body. And then He smothered to death on a cross. He didn't take that lightly. Why should I take the work that He's asked me to do lightly? Scripture says that my goal in life is not convenience, luxury, retirement, and ease. Never read that in the Bible. That those are the things that you should look for in life. But I digress. Hard work is a good gift from God. Number five, purpose. Purpose is a gift that God wants to give you. Proverbs 16, 9, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. The Lord gives him a path. God gifts to you a sense of purpose. God has given you a personality that nobody else has. God has given you a, set, a skill set that nobody else has in conjunction with that personality. And God asks you to have 
these things work in harmony together. A skill set, a personality, passions, all these things in order to achieve some sort of purpose. And the real beauty of that is God puts you in this time and place to utilize your personality and your skill set to serve this purpose. Now, you get to choose how you use that purpose. You can either use it for good or for bad. So which are you going to choose? I would hope that you would choose to use your skill set, your purpose, your passions in order to glorify God. But before I give you number six, I know some of you here or those watching online might be still feeling like, well, I don't know, Pastor, I see these gifts, but I don't know that I can trust God in being good. You might be still doubting that. So let me quickly tell you how I know God is only a good God. Because none of those first five things that I just listed for you require you to be a Christian. God is so good and gracious and loving that even the people who spit in His face are blessed to receive life and good food and a planet to live on. And they can get wealth and enjoyment from hard work and they can find purpose, albeit uh, not a truly meaningful purpose because it's apart from God. That's how I know God is good. Theologians call that common grace. That God just gifted to everybody this grace of life and food and hard work and purpose and uh, all these things. But God is so amazing uh, that He not only gives all these people these gifts, yet if you really want to experience God and these good gifts for all that they are, then you have to ask for these next two things. Number six, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Luke eleven thirteen. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, that sounds familiar, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now, why is the Holy Spirit such a big deal? Because Galatians 5.22 says, when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, He will produce this kind of fruit in us. In other words, He gives us these things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Man, good Lord, how different could the world look if we just experienced some self-control? You hear me on that? Preaching on that. When it comes down to it, is this not the exact list that everyone in the world is looking for. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Is this not what everybody sets out in life to try and achieve for themselves? This is what everybody wants. And God says, look, all you have to do is ask for it. Like that list could be yours. You just have to ask for it. Your life could change dramatically today. By simply asking for the gift of the Holy Spirit and asking God to produce these things for you in your life. How do you do that? Through number seven, the biggest gift of all, salvation. Salvation. Gift that God gives us. John 1.12, But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He, Jesus, gave the right to become children of God. And not just a child, but a child with all the rights and inheritances that come with being a child of the King. Come on, somebody. God gives you this right. 
Now, what's compelling to me is receiving is not performing. When you receive a gift, you did literally nothing to get that gift. As a parent, you give your kids gifts for the sole fact that they are your children. God says, I'm a father, you are my child, I'm going to give you this gift. You just with open hands have to accept the gift. So when it comes to receiving this gift of salvation, it's not about being good enough. You can't be good enough. That's why Jesus had to be good enough for you in your place. His last words were not, now go prove yourself. They were, it's finished. This is a gift that I want to give you. See, this gift, this most important gift, it's not about what you must do. It's about what has been done. The price has been paid in full. You should only receive it. Receiving this gift from Jesus is a personal choice. It's not about going to church or getting more religious. It's about receiving Him personally. Surrendering to Him personally. It's a serious question. Have you received this gift? Have you received Jesus? Maybe as you come to this Christmas season, you have a year filled with frustration and heartache. Maybe over the past year, you've lost a job or your marriage has disintegrated or you've dealt with a sick child. Maybe you've got some kind of personal loneliness or some kind of failure or addiction. And that's shown you, maybe for the first time in life, that you need to do something more. That you need something more. You're not sufficient to live your life the way that you want it to go. You need a Savior. You can't be your own Lord and Savior. I once heard a pastor say, sometimes God has to put us flat on our back so that we will at last look the right direction. You need Jesus. I don't know who you are or what brought you here today, but you need Jesus. Have you received Him? It's a personal choice. Received like a gift by repentance and faith. God doesn't say, do all these things and then you can come talk to me. No, He says, I, I did it for you on the cross with open hands and I do it again. For God so loved the world, put your name in there. For God so loved Landon that He gave His Son. That whenever you believe in Him, you won't perish. This is the good gift that God wants to give everybody sitting in this room, everybody watching online, everybody out the doors today. And if you've received this gift, I would implore you to live your life intentionally to share this good news of the Gospel with the people around you. Because God paid the price for you to receive with open hands His gift. Amen, somebody? Let's pray. God, thank You for offering Your Son, Jesus, to us as a gift. God, I believe there are people here this morning who haven't received this gift. They've maybe gone to church for a long time. They've maybe done what they felt like is the things they're supposed to be doing, but they've never received this gift of salvation, this promise of the Holy Spirit, this way to live new. 
I want to give you a chance this morning if you are here today and that's you, maybe grown up in church your whole life, but never received this free gift of salvation. Just inherently received it. Stop trying to do it yourself. The Bible says just trust in Jesus. Believe in your heart that you can be saved and He will save you. So just in your heart, pray, God, I'm sorry. Sorry I tried to live life my own way. I see now that it doesn't work. I'm longing for something. And I believe it's you. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for the price he paid on a cross. I believe he died for me. I believe he rose from the dead. And because of that, I'm made new. Help me live for you. I give you my life. God, I thank you for that newness. New life. God, I thank you for the gift of every person here today. I just pray that you fill them each with your Holy Spirit so they can experience love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, and self-control in their life. God, I ask that you open up their heart to figure out what this purpose is that you have for them. Give to them an opportunity to use it today. We thank you again just for the opportunity to be here and hear from you. And we thank you for this good gift of salvation through your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.